Father, my simple prayer is that you would, through what is happening this morning, increase our joy in you. Uh, A solid joy that will sustain us through trials. An everlasting joy that will prepare us for eternity. A joy that will fuel our obedience and a joy that will be a testimony to the world of the good God that you are. We pray that you would do that through your spirit in your church this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I have noticed over the past few years is that I am having increasing difficulties sitting in a crowded restaurant and having a conversation with the person at the table with me. Um, It's really bad when I meet students like at the IMU, and the IMU Starbucks is just packed, you know, wall to wall with people and loud conversations. And I might be sitting across from a student, and I can tell you what the people next to me are talking about, and what the professor thinks of his students and their essays, but I have a hard time picking up the voices of the person right across from me and crowding those other voices out. I think it's because of my hearing, too much hard rock music for too loud, too long. My wife says that I've just never been very good at paying attention. Used to scare her to death driving because I'm easily distracted in the car, too, and, you know, a beautiful sunset, and all of a sudden I'm driving towards the sunset or a, you know, bird I haven't seen before, and I'm staring. But I tell her I've never driven the car into the sun before, so you're okay. Never, never crashed. Um, this morning, I, I want to be very careful to focus on the main conversation, Uh, There's lots of really interesting peripheral conversations that could be had uh, about John chapter 10, the passage that was just read. But I want to be very careful not to let, not to let, that's not a word, not to let conversations about really profound truths regarding the church or interesting truths that play into the debate between Arminianism and Calvinism, or statements that really say something about the relationship between church and Israel. Those are good conversations, good things to investigate, but they're peripheral to the main thing of this passage And I want to let the main thing be the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. Jesus, our good shepherd. The key thing that we're privileged to explore this morning is what it means to have Jesus as our good shepherd. Now, obviously, it means that he's not a bad shepherd. He's not a false shepherd or an untrue shepherd. Because unfortunately, there has been plenty of those. This conversation Jesus is having in the book of John, he's having right after a controversy with the Pharisees. Jesus had healed a man who had been born blind, and you would think the shepherds of Israel would be rejoicing that this sheep has been restored to health. But no, they're mad that he did it on the Sabbath. 
Kind of like the passage that John helped us explore last week when the Pharisees were so upset about not washing hands that they missed the big picture. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, well, I'm not like you, you false shepherds. I've come to heal and to restore. That's what I do. The Pharisees are definitely being framed here as those false teachers, or in this passage, the thieves and the robbers who are coming to steal the sheep, rob, fleece the sheep. But the Pharisees weren't the only false shepherds Israel had known. They're just the latest on the scene. The prophet Ezekiel records in Ezekiel 34 the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the prophet writes, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Jesus is saying there has been false, bad, wicked shepherds, but I am the good shepherd. Unfortunately, those false, evil, wicked shepherds are not something of the past either. They're still prevalent today. And we need to be on guard against false shepherds. False shepherds who would use their authority like a cudgel to beat and abuse the sheep. False shepherds who who fleece the sheep. Beware of them. Beware of the false shepherds who say, if you just give, then God will enlarge your bounty. If you just send me your pledge, you'll prosper. Beware of those false sheep that wear $600 sneakers and live in $1.5 million houses who are fleecing the sheep. And beware of those false shepherds who only always affirm. Beware of those false shepherds who don't correct the sheep, who don't go out and say, you're wandering, you're straying, come back to the fold. Beware of those false shepherds who never offend. That's not Jesus. Jesus steps on my toes daily. He corrects. He's a good shepherd because he's God's appointed shepherd for his sheep. The same passage in Ezekiel 34 where God is calling out the false shepherds. He says, you know what? I'm going to be your shepherd. I will shepherd you and I will set a shepherd over you. Jesus is claiming that. He's stepping into those words, into that tradition throughout the Old Testament of God shepherding his people. Think of passages like Isaiah chapter 40. 
incredible chapter of Scripture where God is hanging the stars and measuring out the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand, and he steps down to tend his sheep, holding them close to his chest. Jesus is stepping into that tradition, into those words and saying, that's me. I want to gather my sheep and hold them close. He's stepping into the incredible words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm reading from the NIV, but that still came out very King James-ish. That's how I memorized it. Jesus is stepping into this and saying, this is me. I am the shepherd that God has appointed over his sheep, his flock, and I am a good shepherd. One thing that is immediately clear from the Old Testament context and from John chapter 10 is that Jesus, as our good shepherd, has an intimate bond with his sheep. He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I don't just know about sheep in a vague, general, you know, shepherd no sheep kind of way. I know my sheep. And in verse 5, he puts a point to that. As I know the Father, and the Father knows me, that's how I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. It's this intimate relationship that we have with our good shepherd. And he knows each sheep by name. It's still common in the Middle East for shepherds to name their sheep, usually something that fits with their physical appearance. So you might have Fuzzy the sheep, or Speckled Ear the sheep, or Floppy. I don't know what my name is in Jesus' fold, but he knows it. He knows my name. And I, as his sheep, know his voice. Jesus says, my sheep, they recognize my voice. They've heard it before. We're in relationship. They can pick my voice out from the crowd. When I was growing up, our family would, you know, go to the store sometimes and I'd go over to the the record section of Kmart, and my brother would go over to the G.I. Joe section, and my sister would be at the doll section, and my mom would be over, I don't know, uh, doing mom stuff. And when mom was ready to go, my dad would just whistle. He could be on the other side of the store, but we knew my dad's whistle. And we came. Like, post-haste, we came. 
I never got the whistle down. The best I ever got was the snap, and it worked okay. But my kids knew the snap. I knew my dad's whistle. We know Jesus' voice. Jesus says, those who are in the pen, they know my voice. But I have other sheep too that aren't a part of this fold yet. They're still outside. And they'll recognize my voice. I need to gather them also. John 10 is for me one of the great impetuses, one of the great motivating chapters for evangelism in the whole of the Bible. Not because it's a command to go out and evangelize, because there's the hope that in me speaking the gospel, whether here or at a Starbucks table or at my next door neighbor's house, there's the hope that in me speaking the gospel, they'll recognize their shepherd's voice and say, yeah, there's something strangely familiar about that. Tell me more. This plays out in Acts chapter 18. Paul is in Corinth, and he's had some success, but Jesus comes to him in a vision and says, don't leave the city yet. I have many more people in the city who still need to come. They need to hear my voice, Paul, in your preaching. Jesus knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And knowing his sheep, he lovingly leads them. When I was in college, I went to Houghton College, which is out in the middle of the boonies. I mean, the sticks of western New York. You had to drive 20 minutes to a McDonald's. You know, one day I was going to get a haircut. I think it was like a half-hour drive to get a haircut. And on the way, uh, there was an old guy hitchhiking on the side of the road. I do not make a habit of picking up hitchhikers now. I would not encourage my sons to make a habit of picking up hitchhikers, but I did that day and got in a great conversation with this old guy as we drove to Belmont, New York. And he asked me what I was studying, and at that point, uh, I had changed, I actually picked up a minor in Bible and was planning to go into ministry, and he said, well, young man, I just have one piece of advice for you. Sheep are led, not driven. Now, being the cantankerous know-it-all high school or college student that I was, I'm like, eh, I didn't say this to him, but I'm like, you know what? I've seen pictures of shepherds driving sheep with sheepdogs. That's not how Jesus does it. In the Middle East, shepherds don't drive sheep. They go out ahead of the sheep, and they call to the sheep. And because the sheep know their voice, they follow But the shepherd is out in front. And if there's danger that's going to be encountered, the shepherd sees it first. The shepherd goes out and he shows the sheep the path. And Jesus says, I'm leading the sheep out into good pasture. I'll lead them into safety. I'll lead them out to blessing, to green pastures where they can be filled with good stuff. He actually says, I lead them to life, and to life abundantly. 
Jesus is, as our good shepherd, showing us the path to the blessed kind of life that he wants for his people. And wherever we go, wherever we are, our good shepherd protects us. Now, Jesus was absolutely never guilty of sin. But some might accuse him of being guilty of mixing metaphors in John chapter 10. In this passage, he's not telling a parable that has a clear kind of narrative storyline. He's riffing on this idea of being a shepherd. And at one point he says, you know what? I'm not just the shepherd, I'm the gate. No one's getting into the pen to steal my sheep unless they come through me, the gate. And if you want into the fold, into the sheep pen, you got to come through me. I'm the gate. And when we go out into the field, I'm not just a hired hand. You're my sheep. So if we encounter wolf, I'm not going to hightail and run like a hired hand. I'll stand and protect you because you're my sheep. A hired hand's going to run, but not our good shepherd. And if we start to go astray and wander close to the cliff, Jesus comes and he pulls us back to safety. He protects us as our good shepherd. Notice it's not the walls that protect the sheep in the pen. It's Jesus, the gate. It's Jesus, the shepherd, who's with his sheep to ward off wolves. It's Jesus who protects us. When we were engaged and newly married, my father-in-law used to say to me all the time, there is no safer place to be than in the center of God's will. And again, being the young, arrogant jerk, I thought, well, tell that to St. Peter and St. Paul. You know, crucified, martyred. But he was right from an eternal perspective. Uh, It doesn't guarantee my physical safety. But spiritually, Jesus is the one who protects me. There's no safer place to be than right there next to the Good Shepherd. There's a million battles to be fought in the Christian life. There's a million battles to be fought as the church of Christ. Each and every one of those battles will be lost if we don't stay close to our shepherd. It's in him that we find safety. It's in him that we find protection. And ultimately, it is our good shepherd who saves us by dying for us. Saves us by dying for us. He doesn't just say, I'm going to put myself in danger for my sheep. And he doesn't say, I might die as an accident if a wolf surprises me or if I fall off the cliff trying to pull the sheep up. No, he says very intentionally, I lay my life down for my sheep because I'm the good shepherd. And that's what a good shepherd does for his flock. That's what I will do 
to provide salvation for them. I lay my life down. It is not taken from me. I have been given authority to lay it down and to take it back up again. He truly is our good, good shepherd. I wish we had a different word in English. Good is the right word. It's the right translation. But we've so misused good. If you ask in our house, how's dinner? The kids might say, yeah, good. Doesn't mean delicious. Doesn't mean great. You know, it's one degree better than fine. When we say that Jesus is our good shepherd, we need to summon all of our admiration, all of our affection, and inflect them into that word good. He is our good, good shepherd. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for providing us a good shepherd a good shepherd who we can rest our lives wholly upon, knowing he is faithful, knowing that he has already laid his life down for us. What more wouldn't he do to protect his sheep? Father, we pray that you would give us the peace to rest in our good shepherd. Give us the joy that will come from that peace, knowing that we are eternally secure No one can snatch us out of our good shepherd's hand. Thank you. Would you seal these truths in our heart with your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.